Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. My Lord, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning I want to tell you that I love Jackson, Tennessee. I'm sure that our small city has had its shares of disappointment when I moved here in early 2002 from the big city of Dallas, Texas. But in my memory, I had entered into a rich history that year. All the old oaks cascading over the lanes and avenues of Midtown. And all those old houses that contained biographies and stories long forgotten. And of course, the fabric of the faith that seemed to hold the whole town together. And even while we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, the last few years, I kept tabs on Jackson. So when I read about the plans to develop the Middle Fork Bottoms up in three-way, I was excited that upon our return last year, there, there would be more beautiful places to explore and places to hike and shade under which my family could spend a Saturday. That is, until I ventured to find the Middle Fork Bottoms. It took a while, but I did find it. And if you go there this afternoon, you'll see an open field. Yes, a bridge or two have been constructed, and some equipment is sitting on the site, and even a semblance of a path can be discerned. But overall, it's a barren and shadeless land, void and without form. Now, I'm a fairly creative person, but having seen it, it's difficult to regain my imagination of what that place could look like. And I mentioned this today on Pentecost Sunday because it's easy to look around us and see a world, a world of chaos, a world of pain, a void of suffering and of death, the evil of gun violence, war, and cancer. And if we're not careful, we can despair and neglect the Pentecostal potential that God has showed and showered upon His church in the gift of the Holy Spirit in order to renew the face of the earth. Our Old Testament passage this morning marks a transition in the history of mankind from the destructive depravity of humanity from the fall, between the fall and the flood in Noah's day, to the establishment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And the building of the Tower of Babel serves as the culmination of mankind's disobedience to God and that they bypassed faithfulness to the Creator and endeavored to reach heaven on their own without Him. But even more significantly, this was done in direct opposition to God's mandate, which was to fill the earth. Now you will remember that after God created all things, He placed mankind in a beautiful garden and gave them the entire earth as a gift. They were to do with the wilderness of the world what God had done in that garden. They were to populate the earth and continue His creative work as a way to not only imitate Him, 
but love him as well. And even after God flooded the earth, he commanded Noah and his descendants to what? The same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. But as we see in our reading today, they did not want to be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The very thing that God told them to do. And it seems that the barren void of the wilderness was a thing to be avoided rather than cultivated. They neglected the potential of God's wondrous works. Well, the text makes special mention that the whole earth had one language at this time, which was problematic from God's perspective. God says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. In other words, it might not seem like a big deal for a group of people to desire to huddle together and have a common life, even if they are mistaken about reaching heaven on their own. But what might seem like the slightest divergence in obedience now quickly becomes chaos. What might seem like the slightest divergence in obedience now quickly becomes chaos. And chaos is the very thing that God set in order when His Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1. If you can recall those first few verses of Genesis, you'll remember that God sets the cosmos in order. How? By speaking His words. Let there be light. But here in this passage, the unity of language unmakes what was made. It unravels what God has woven. It uncreates what has been created. And this must not be. So God confused their speech. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that this passage is simply an ancient myth about how we ended up with so many languages. No. Instead, it is a testimony of God's intention for His whole creation and ultimately His people. It is the witness to the lengths that God will go to to ensure that humanity does not settle for its own conception of what is good. That we do not seek unity and safety and comfort at the expense of our God-likeness. That we do not forsake the potential of renewal, of recreation, and of redemption. And even if they must endure thousands of years of dangers, toils, and snares, God will complete the work He has begun in His children. Which brings us to our Acts passage. We're told that when the day of Pentecost came, there came a sound from heaven like the rush of a violent wind. Now, the Jewish feast of Pentecost occurred 50 days after the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. And it commemorated the day that God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel at Mount Sinai in the wilderness, 50 days before that very first Passover. Now, I've not done the math on this, 
But this feast must have been celebrated thousands of times over the years between that original event at Mount Sinai and this event with the violent rushing wind that we read about this morning. We know that, not, that never before on Pentecost had such a violent wind rushed upon anyone with divided tongues of fire. That is to say that this was a unique event. Just as the crucifixion of the Messiah 50 days before at the pre- was at the previous Passover, that was also a unique event. How do we know that? Well, when it occurred, the sun was darkened and the moon turned to a blood red. These events were unique because they were fulfillments of the rituals and the celebrations they were designed to foreshadow. They were the Passover and Pentecost par excellence, so to speak. And God had scattered the people all those years before, and He chose Abraham through whom he would bless all of those same scattered nations and their descendants. And he revealed himself to Israel, established a priesthood and a kingdom, and he disciplined his children. He exiled them into those other nations, and when all hope was lost, he had prepared his entire creation for the coming of his only son. Now, that the hope of the world had come, atoned for the sins of the people on the cross and suffered death in their stead, conquered death and grave, and had finally ascended back to the Father. Now is the time for the renewal of the earth. Now is the time to gather the scattered nations, all those Parthians and Medes and Elamites, all those Jews and proselytes and visitors from Rome, the Cretans and the Arabs. Now is the time for their speech, their language, their words that were so confused so long ago to be united into a single voice proclaiming the mighty acts of God. And God has finally poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. The potential of the human race, indeed of the entire cosmos, has now begun. And this is why Jesus told his disciples, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. How? Why? Because I am going to the Father, he said. It is because Jesus ascended to the Father that the Holy Spirit can be sent and poured out upon all flesh. And the Holy Spirit, he tells us, is the spirit of truth. And this is the spirit by whom the waters of chaos were formed eons ago. This is the spirit first breathed into humanity in the garden. This is the spirit who revived the valley of dry bones in the the book of Ezekiel. And this is the spirit who descended upon Jesus at his baptism. And this is the same spirit whom you and I received at our own baptisms, and in by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And it is by this same Spirit that you and I believe in Jesus. Can you imagine what an entire redeemed people indwelt by this Holy Spirit are capable of? 
Such people, of course, constitute the church. The ecclesia, the called out ones. Do not underestimate the power of a people upon whom God's Spirit is poured. The potential before us, the potential to perform even greater works than Jesus cannot be underestimated, although it often is. This is the Pentecostal potential that has been poured out upon the church of God. So let us not neglect it. I mentioned earlier the disappointment I found in the middle fork bottoms in three-way. I thought a lot about how barren and hopeless that place seemed. And even the architectural renderings they released last year weren't enough for me to see the full potential of that place. But something else has occurred to me in the last year. I remember when they opened Liberty Park, just down the street. It looked very much the same as Middle Fork Bottoms. It was flat, it was barren, there was a gazebo and maybe a walking track, but there was no shade, there was no flower. It was pretty disappointing. But since I've been back, I go over there every once in a while on my lunch breaks to take a walk, and I'm amazed. The trees are now mature enough to provide shade, and there are flowers everywhere. Monuments and restrooms and water fountains and bridges adorn the entire property. It's turned out to be quite a beautiful place, and I can finally see what it might look like in another 10 years. And I think that that will be the case in three-way as well. And this morning I'm a little embarrassed to admit to you how disappointed I was in it. See, the gospel points us to the potential of what God wants to do in his creation. We await the consummation of all things, the coming of the Lord, the day of judgment, and the resurrection of the dead. But in the meantime... Even in the midst of cancer and gun violence and war, the Spirit of God is at work in His church, if we let Him. He will proclaim the mighty works of God in and through what we do, but especially when we use our words, our language, our speech. So keep growing blueberries, friends. Keep sowing seeds, brothers and sisters. Keep loving spouses and wives, spouses and children. I have a wife. (laughs) Keep teaching students and writing blogs and articles to proclaim the mighty works of God. For the day is not over yet. Jesus told us there is a time when no one can work, but the sun is not yet set. This life is full of Pentecostal potential. Just join God in His Spirit in His Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for the gift of Jesus Christ. And we thank You that You have sent Your Holy Spirit 
and poured out your spirit upon all flesh. That you are redeeming your people and your whole world and all of creation and all of the nations, Lord. And we pray that your people, your church, would be a vessel through whom your spirit works and does your work. Let us be active agents in your work of renewal on the earth. Let us proclaim the mighty works of God everywhere we go, especially the love of Jesus who poured out his blood for our sins on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that this good news would spring up flowers, spring up life all about us and throughout the entire earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.